Coming up on today's show, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole met with his caucus for the first time yesterday in Ottawa, and they have given themselves the power to conduct a leadership review, and, well, he seems okay with it. Half of all disability claims among young workers in 2021 in this country were related to mental health. It's a changing world out there in the workplace, and this is a big part of it. And the price of gas has shot way up. Why? We'll chat with Dan McTague. As leader, I am accountable accountable for what went well, and accountable for where we fell short. I'm also accountable for where we failed in executing on our plan for Canadians. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I'm resolutely committed to reviewing every element of our campaign. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, after his first caucus meeting with his newly elected MPs yesterday in Ottawa, uh, under some pressure, as you know, there are some people within the group um, that want him to at least undergo a leadership review, if not be removed as leader, switch to somebody new as they head into a campaign. Um, Other people saying, no, absolutely not. We need to stick with Aaron. He did okay. Um, Certainly a caucus divided on that, but uh, we'll find out what happened yesterday. Bottom line, the caucus has an opportunity to give themselves the power to trigger a leadership review if they want or not. And they did. They said, yes, we will do that. They have the power now. Six-hour meeting. So let's get some insight. We're going to chat now with Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist, consultant, and writer. She's been with us on the show before. Melissa, thanks for joining us again today. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So what do we take from this meeting? Aaron O'Toole came out and said his team is united. He feels secure, even though MPs had voted to open the door to a potential leadership review. So is is he just putting on a brave face or are things all good in the Conservative caucus? I don't think so. I think that there's merit to what he said. There's clearly a lot of different ideas about his, um, his status of leader within the party, and, and I'm sure that those will be fleshed out. But um, for listeners, I just want to, you know, emphasize the the things that the Conservative Party of Canada caucus voted on yesterday are things that every political party federally has the opportunity to vote on at the first caucus meeting following a general election. So they voted on things that are included in a piece of legislation called the Reform Act, which came into effect in 2015. And it allows every party to vote on four things, whether they're going to review or remove the leader, um, the election and the review of their caucus chair, expulsion and readmission of caucus members, and then an election election of an interim leader should that change. So really what they did is just voted in favor to have powers that every single political party can have. And I think that when we look at the situation, that is something that can sort of ease some of the tensions that are that are currently happening within the caucus. Because for folks who are a little bit critical, they can say, okay, we're going to take a step back, but we know that we have this in our back pocket if we wish to use it. Right. So they do have that lever to pull if they want to. But like you say, publicly even, his support seems really all over the place. Some say, no, absolutely, he needs to stay on. But um, we didn't hear any outright calls for his removal yesterday heading into that meeting. More talk about we want an explanation about what happened and what we're going to do differently next time. So it seems like the caucus, even if they're not saying you need to go, we need to do things better. So this is just part of that process, right? Absolutely. And I should say, you know, this happens maybe not so publicly when electoral success is positive, but this is a very normal thing that happens within political parties after elections. And, and of course, you take 
um, a more a more serious look when when the election results weren't what you had hoped for. But I think it's especially important that this process is happening because um, Aaron O'Toole as leader took the party in a very different direction than we have been used to with the Conservative mm-hmm. uh, Party of Canada. Um, I personally think that that's a positive direction, but I know there are a lot of different ideas about this. So, so now I think it, it is important that that caucus is coming together to um, review whether that worked and and to look as well at the the numbers and and to look at the actual breakdown of of what policies were supported what which were less popular um, because as you know in our system with first past the post it's like if you didn't win more seats it's seen as not a success right. um, but I think they they have to look at whether they did something, whether they did things that can improve their overall chances for next time, whether it's an issue of um, Aaron O'Toole's credibility on these issues, all those things are things that they have to look at, um, and especially now, because it was a new thing that they tried. You know, And Melissa, you make a really good point, because it's really hard to even come to a conclusion as to whether the Conservatives were winners or losers in this election, because you can take a look at overall vote. You can take a look at seats lost. You can take a look at all different kinds of areas. And whether you say Aaron O'Toole did a good job, you can point to gains made here. If you say he did a bad job, you can point to losses made in this area, specifically Alberta in many cases. So it's really tough to sort of characterize exactly what this election means to conservatives. Totally. And and to be clear, by the numbers, it does look like um, this was a losing strategy by all sort of objective um, counts because they had a lower percentage of the vote share, didn't increase seat count, and then there's a lot of theories about where that support went, uh, led to. A lot of people think it was the PPC. But what I'm looking at as well is, was this an election that actually prepares conservatives to be able to actually have credible conversations on things like climate change, on things like um, not raising contentious social conservative issues in the parliament. So I wonder as well if sort of qualitatively what happened in this election actually puts the party in a better place for the next election, because now it's not just hearing these things for the first time. If there is a degree of consistency that MPs and um, the leader can take into the next election, the party all of a sudden becomes more credible on these issues and they become, um, they, they, the ability for opposition parties to use them as wedges to yep. So, And that is the longest-standing issue when it comes to conservative politics provincially, uh, federally in this country, um, and I think that is the existential question facing conservatives, and Aaron O'Toole recognizes it, and as you said, you do. A lot of people within the party do. If we ever want to be elected, we have to continue this move slightly to the center. We're not saying we're going to go NDP here, But at the same time, that's going to cost us some of the votes on the farther right end of our party who are going to drop off because they think we're abandoning their values. It is a a battle between what the Conservative Party wants to be. Do you want to be elected or do you want to adhere to some of those things that keep you from getting elected? Absolutely. And, you know, me, when I'm looking at it from the outside, I think there's a real opportunity to propose solid Conservative solutions um, for progressive and modern-day problems. Yeah. And I think maybe where conservatives federally and provincially and elsewhere in the country have fallen short is that we sometimes forget to acknowledge that some of those things are an issue. We sometimes um, we sometimes skip to being um, 
being stuck in our, our sort of typical ways of solving things. And we're not necessarily looking at some of these other problems that have arisen. But I, I, I want to believe that there is still an opportunity for conservative solutions to those problems. And I think that's where the opportunity um, lies, not to become a liberal light or to be sort of not differentiated from other progressive parties, acknowledging the things that we face as a, um, as a country in 2021 and beyond, proposing conservative solutions that address those things, but in a fiscally responsible, um, socially responsible way. Yeah, and we'll see if they can come up with a strategy to do that. Um, one last one. What do we think about Edmonton, uh, former Edmonton Centre MP James Cumming conducting what they're calling a 360-degree review of what happened? Um, James has been around for a while, very, very smart guy. Um, what do we expect uh, to come from that? What kind of things will he be looking at, and, and what will the outcome be? Yeah, so I can imagine that what James will do as part of his review is he will take all of that data that we're talking about, um, put it into a, a into an easily sort of digestible form, and he'll do a lot of interacting with caucus members, with supporters. He'll probably reach out to folks um, who are willing to talk to him that maybe went elsewhere. Maybe he'll talk to some folks that went to the PPC mm-hmm. or um, folks that went to other political parties, and he'll he'll try to sort of get to the bottom of what was motivating people's decisions. We see polling numbers, and that's. It's important to look at, but the why behind those numbers is really important in order to put solutions forward. And I think what he'll probably do is he'll look um, at the history of the party. He might look at, um, at, at where we've sort of come together in the past, um, and he might look at to other jurisdictions as well, how, how political parties have gone through similar thing, um, have come, come ahead. So I'm really looking forward to that report, and I think that James... Well, it makes me sad that this might um, mean that he can't run again in Alberta. I think he's the perfect person for the job. Yeah, I think he, he'll do a great job on this, no doubt about it. So ultimately, Melissa, the question comes down to, is Aaron O'Toole, is he safe or is his leadership threatened uh, within the next couple of months as they try and get uh, their house in order and get back on track for what will likely be another campaign within a year or two? His leadership right now is tentative because they have to go through all of these things. Ultimately, though, I do think that we will see Aaron O'Toole as the leader of the Conservative Party for the next federal election. Excellent. Okay. As always, great insight. Thank you so much, Melissa. Appreciate your time. Thank you. That is Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist and a consultant and a writer. Interesting change, and I've, I've noticed it in the places that I've worked, and um, we've had this discussion before, where mental health is no longer seen as different from your physical health in a lot of cases when it comes to the way your company deals with it, the way employees are asked to deal with it. It's getting that recognition, which obviously it deserves, um, but it seems to have really ramped up during the pandemic. And now there's some new research into how it's um, manifesting across our country, not only among businesses, but among their employees as well. So to get some insight on that, we are going to chat with Julie Gaudry, who is the head of group benefits at RBC Insurance. Julie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me today. Am I right, first of all, in saying overall, um, excuse me, we've got smoke in the area today and it's giving me some grief. Um, <laughs> we, um, overall, it seems like this conversation has really started to emerge over the last couple of years and really ramped up. And now we're at a point where this is a major consideration for both employees and for businesses, making sure that mental health is treated just as importantly as your physical health. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, mental health has been an important consideration for some time. Uh, employers, employees, just we, we've all been uh, thinking about it and implementing programs to support employee mental health for some time. But as you said, it's really ramped up over the last year and a half or so as we all collectively face new stressors, uh, you know, related to the pandemic-related mm-hmm. restrictions. And, and, and it's, it's definitely top of mind, uh, considering all the things that we've been dealing with the last 18 months. And as uh, employees who, some of which have been working remotely, uh, prepare to return to the physical workplace. So it's definitely uh, top of mind for employers and employees. It certainly is. And when you're talking about an employer, we know that many, many industries right now are really facing a hard time getting the workers that they need to operate their businesses. It's something a lot of different uh, sectors are reporting right now. And one of the things that we're finding uh, in this report that you released is for attracting these kinds of employees, it's not always about money. Sometimes you need to make sure that these kinds of benefits are something that you're offering, right? That's right. Uh, In the survey that we ran earlier this year, we found that uh, the majority of working Canadians are placing a greater focus on their benefits plan. So we saw that 68% of them indicated they'd take a job with a good benefits plan over a job that pays more but doesn't provide benefits. So, you know, there's lots of considerations, of course, uh, in terms of uh, deciding to stay where you work or if you're choosing a new workplace. Um, but benefits seems to be uh, an important one as people prioritize both their physical and mental health. When we're talking about benefit in this context, is it mental health supports? Is it disability support for mental health? What exactly, have you had a chance to drill down a little deeper into what they mean by benefits? Yeah, so when we talk about benefits in this context, and we're talking a traditional, right, your group benefits coverage, right. so, you know, you're, you're coveraged for a, a prescription drug claim to see your dentist, to see a psychologist or social worker, perhaps to support your mental health. Um, but we're also talking about what other kinds of supports, uh, you know, so the surveys and some of our research and our, our, our review of our claims data also digs into um, interest in things like um, that are less traditional, perhaps, but virtual care platforms to access mental health care. Um, and so there's we are talking more broadly about group benefits generally, uh, but it's within the context of that group benefits that most people will, uh, you know, get the support that they need for a mental health concern that they're facing. Um, demographically, I know um, it's a different conversation I think people of my generation have than the young people have. Mental health is more of a focus. Are you seeing that reflected in, in, in the research? Is this being led primarily by young people? Yeah, we're seeing it in both uh, our research through the survey work, but we're also seeing it show up in our claims data. So in the survey, um, we saw that uh, we asked people to self-report their level of mental health. And uh, the sentiment, uh, those that would report it as poor or bad, was strongest amongst the, uh, the younger demographic. So those Canadians between the ages of 18 and 35, uh, 49% of them uh, would rate their, um, their, their uh, sorry, let me restate that, 22% of them, uh, 20% of them would uh, indicate that their mental health was poor or bad. Mm-hmm. But the older workers, uh, it, was, it was low, down to uh, 3% or so. So we're definitely seeing that more uh, represented, more likely to report their mental health as poor or bad in that younger workforce. And then if we look at our claims data, we're seeing that uh, show up in our disability claims results as well. So overall, um, you know, for quite some time now, about a third or so, just over a third of dis- long-term disability claims would be related to mental health. Um, but if we look at the younger demographics, so those under 35, um, 
that's been higher. It's it's for 2021 year to date, we're looking at about 49%, so almost half. Wow. Uh, and so it's been increasing uh, at a faster pace in that younger demographic. When you talk about that self-reporting, um, tell me about RBC. I, I have um, a person in my life that runs a company, runs a business, mm-hmm. and this is something that they do on like a daily basis. Each employee, when they report to a meeting, has to report how they're feeling. And if they're not feeling well, they don't have to be there. I mean, this is a consideration. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about how's their mood? How are they feeling mentally? I mean, is that the kind of thing that you're doing too with RBC? That's amazing that that's happening. I mean, I, I would hope that obviously it's voluntary that people <laughs> share of course, their yeah. feeling. But, uh, but what's amazing about that is that it sounds like that employer has created a culture where it's okay to say you're not feeling yeah. okay, right? And, and it's okay to say, having a rough day today, uh, you know, I, I need some help. And then you might have managers or, or colleagues well positioned to encourage that employee to reach out for some support, whatever they might provide. So it's definitely the type of advice we give to our clients. Uh, so that's employers across Canada who select us for their group benefits coverage. We recommend for sure that they are openly discussing not just mental health, but all the various things that uh, an employee may struggle with from time to time and, and create an environment where it's okay to put up your hand and say you need you need help. And then encouraging those employers to actively promote and communicate all the resources available. Because so often uh, an employee not only suffers in silence because they're you know, not feeling comfortable speaking up, but they also don't know where to turn. They don't actually know all the great resources that they have access to. And so it's important that employers not only create that environment to speak up and, and, and openly discuss when we need help, but also actively promote the resources available uh, so that employees know what they can get help with uh, when, when that time comes. And it certainly is a big shift from even just five, ten years ago. These kind of conversations oh, didn't happen. You're right. You're right. I, I can definitely uh, have seen the shift over my career. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you know, when a time not that long ago that we were talking about, you know, it was a little bit nerve wracking to think about um, speaking about this openly. And now, you know, you're seeing open discussion right up to mo- the most senior leadership levels about the importance of, of caring for our mental health the importance of reaching out for help when you're struggling. So it's 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 a great shift. It is. And I think, you know, this this past year and a half or so may may help move the conversation forward even more because collectively we've all faced a similar uh, challenge, right? Whether it's the social isolation, uh, economic uncertainty, concern about your job, just fear of getting sick for you or your loved ones. We're all sharing in these new mental stressors and openly discussing how we're feeling about them. So I do hope that that might be a legacy coming out of uh, the past year and a half where uh, perhaps we're all a little bit more comfortable uh, discussing how we're feeling. Yeah, the conversation is more open. Um, Julie, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Julie Gaudry, who is uh, the head of group benefits at RBC Insurance. And, you know, just thinking back, and I'm not that old, I'm not even 50 yet, but Going back to when I started in this business, um, the change from the way that mental health concerns were dealt with to the way they're dealt with today, it's night and day. I mean, it was it was a discussion that wasn't had, right? It was just something that people didn't talk about openly, and uh, very rarely was it ever a consideration for an employer as to, you know, how are you feeling today in terms of whether you're going to come into work or not. Now, you know, there's a lot of companies that say, hey, listen, if you've got a migraine, you're going to phone in sick. If you're having a really bad day mentally, uh, you should be phoning in sick. 
Uh, we have Dan joining us now. Hey, hey, Dan, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you squeezing us in this morning. <laughs> Good to be here. I just hope I don't get blamed. That's all. <laughs> no, we're not going to blame you. Um, but what, what, what's going on? I'm seeing uh, Toronto is about to record their highest gas price ever. We saw like a 15, 20 cent jump in our province. I mean, holy yeah. cow, that's a big leap. Yeah, I mean, look, you saw gas prices really lagging behind. Uh, it was costing gas stations about a buck thirty-five to buy a buck thirty-four to buy their fuel in uh, in Edmonton and right across the province. And I thought at some point this is going to give. So I saw a three to eight cent a liter increase, which I tweeted uh, yesterday, day before. I can't remember. Yeah, and sure enough, uh, not only did they make that make up that difference. They also added their uh, twelve cent a liter retail margins, which of course uh, is why we're at a dollar forty one point nine here in the province, and why that uh, is really pushing records as well right across the province. So uh, it's not just Toronto, it's not just Ontario, it's not just Newfoundland, it's not just New Brunswick. It's now Alberta, Manitoba, and uh, all of Central BC are in the same boat. And unfortunately, uh, it does mean that prices, uh, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, are going to re- remain very high. Unusual shape because at this time of year. Normally, we see prices go down. Uh, I think I was one of the few that actually does this kind of prediction, has been doing it for many years, and thought that was a little bizarre, given what was happening in Europe and Asia, and, of course, the uh, uh, the move to uh, really disinvest, as it were, which we know a lot about here in Canada, but we're now seeing the United States disinvest in, uh, in hydrocarbons, and it's having a predictable boomerang effect on all consumers. Um, so th- this is all tied to oil prices. It's not, hey, it's the Thanksgiving long weekend. Of course, prices have gone up, or they're not sweeping the Florida factory down in Louisiana or something <laughs> like that. This one, we can tie it directly to the price of oil? Yeah, it's uh, it's the price of oil. It has nothing to do with uh, Thanksgiving. And, and for my friends who are very cynical, and that's a lot of them, I always remind them that uh, the Americans don't have their Thanksgiving until November. There you go. Okay. So, you know, it's, seriously, I, <laughs> they think Canada's that big that it would be that reason. The good news is that the wholesale price drops about two cents a liter on Friday and possibly on Saturday as well. So what went up has come down for the time being. But, Shay, come next week, I think we're going to be seeing prices charge up again, and we could see, you know, prices here in Edmonton and right across the uh, the province head towards the dollar forty seven to dollar fifty range uh, if this continues as some expect uh, that we go to eighty seven dollar a barrel oil which would mean ninety dollars a barrel for WCS which is really good news but yeah it goes to show you how weird this is getting yes yeah, that double edged sword in our part of the world no doubt about it uh, last one for you Dan and I it's all over the text yeah. line as you and I are talking carbon tax this is the carbon tax what did you expect the carbon tax has gone up where does that fit in. Uh, it, well, it fits in two ways. One, it is a factor. It's nine, almost ten cents a liter. So we wouldn't be having this discussion if it was a dollar thirty a liter. Maybe we would. But the other one that I talked about earlier, this constriction, deliberate move by policymakers not to allow Canadian oil to get to U.S. markets is driving up prices there. They're short, and the disinvestment is having a boomerang effect also in the value of the dollar. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It takes one hundred twenty-five pennies, one hundred twenty-six pennies to buy a U.S. Uh, dollar. That adds another 14, 15 cents a liter. In the past, we had the petroloony. We no longer have that because we're not selling enough oil. So there's really two negative effects, two knock-on effects, if you will, uh, compliments of the uh, of those who uh, want the uh, you know the uh, the great reset, the uh, build back better recovery yeah. in which you uh, destroy the hydrocarbon industry. Not a good time to do it. It's another few, maybe a couple decades off. We're rushing it too quickly and paying for it. Okay, uh, Dan, next time we see a jump, we'll get you on, and we can talk about natural gas, too, because that's another one that is really slamming some people, too. Up threefold. Yeah. Up threefold. Yeah, so, unbelievable. Yeah, one of the same thing. Okay, excellent. We'll have a, we'll, we'll get you back on soon. Thanks, Dan. You got it, Shay. Thanks. That is Dan McTague, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, a former liberal MP in the federal government. Uh,
appreciate him squeezing us in this morning. We've been trying to track him down all day. So there you go. Yeah, this is basically, this is the price of oil. And a, a lot of you saying, you know, <laughs> it's, well, it's a long weekend. Prices always go up on the weekend, which is true, which is true. And then sometimes they'll say, well, we're doing, uh, we're doing maintenance at this plant in Louisiana or whatever the case may be. That's why uh, it's just temporary. Uh, it looks like this one, not temporary. Might see it ease a little bit by the weekend, but then up, flirting with $1.47, $1.50 coming soon. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.